The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. You are a brave group to applaud before you even hear me. Um, I will tell you that I have always loved words and speech very much. And so when I first became a follower of Jesus, again, like Liz said, I was in my 20s, and I loved the oxymorons that I would hear in the church. You know oxymorons, some of your favorites, uh, airline food, uh, jumbo shrimp, honest politician, all those. Um, But my pastor would always start by saying, before I speak, I'd like to say a few words. And so in some ways, that's what I'm going to do. But in that little bit of time, you can start turning in your scriptures to John chapter 4. We're going to get there eventually, but I want you to know that I have a few things to say before we delve into the text. Um, I am grateful to be here. Thank you to those that have made this invitation and the faculty and staff that have so welcomed me here. And I will be around. If you want to talk, I don't even want to eat lunch. If you want to talk about anything that I have to say, uh, I would love uh, to spend the rest of the day talking with you about God's call in your life and what he's doing and how he's working in your life. Um, Before I pray, uh, I also want to say I love this age of student and person. Uh, I fell in love with Uh, young adults when I was working in a ministry in Germany. Uh, The congregation met in the auditorium of Black Forest Academy, which was a a missionary kid boarding school. And so as I looked out at that congregation of about 600, 300 of them were 18 and under. And so it made me understand that this is the generation that will bring change in the world. And so I want to pray, and I want to pray with the thought in mind of what you just prayed, Uh, You did it when you were singing. Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me. And so that's my heart cry. I think every time we sing, we have to remember we're praying. We're talking to the Lord. So pray with me. And I'm going to ask in just a little pause before I start praying that you pray these words as well. Pray, Lord, speak to me. Just those simple words and then I'll pray. So let's all pray together and then I will pray. Lord, that is our prayer. Every time we come to your word, we should be praying, Lord, speak. Uh, Tell me your will. Tell me what we should do. Tell me how I should live. I confess, Father, that um, I don't always treat your holy word like it's holy. So I pray just looking again at a passage that I know well, that I would hear you speak, that you would work in my life and teach me what you need to teach me through what I'm about to say. Um, It is your holy word. This is a group of your holy people. We're meeting together, Lord. We are loved by you and cherished by you, and you want so desperately for us to hear from you. May it be so, Lord, that you do indeed speak to us that powerful way that your Holy Spirit communicates what's in the text, Lord. Uh, May it be that I can step aside from this and uh, not even be the one heard, but that people truly do hear from you today, these 
people that are seeking you and in and, and this place to learn more about you. This I pray, Father, I ask that you do that not so that people will remember the message, but that they'll remember your words and your heart for them. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it hit me all at once. Three things within a matter of weeks, and I want to tell you about them briefly. The first was Ravi Zacharias. Um, In the church where I was before I came to Calvary, we were the last church where Ravi Zacharias spoke before he passed away. And I had the privilege of sitting at a dinner with him and talking to him. And when the news broke of his failure, the church of Jesus Christ was hurt. Um, Here was this great apologist and defender of the faith and, and it became clear that he had lived a double life. Within weeks of that, and I don't remember the exact timing, which one came first, but there was the president of a Christian college that, uh, where my daughter had attended, and I won't mention the name of that other school, uh, but the president's name rhymes with Fairy Jellwell. Um, uh, he was shown in a picture with his arm around a woman, not his wife, holding a drink that he later would say was colored water, mm-hmm, at a school that much like this one, had a policy against drinking colored water. And uh, he was, he was uh, claiming that they were just posing for this picture, but his fly was unzipped, as was hers in some rather short shorts, and his arm was, for my taste, uncomfortably close to her breasts. And then I got the email. The email from a fellow missions pastor at another church because the woman was from, our, uh, was from his church and the guy was from our church, and I'll tell you their story. I'm going to call them Mark and Cindy. That's not their real names, and if I slip up and say their real names, you still won't know them. But Mark and Cindy were much like some of you. They grew up in a Christian home. Mark, a little bit, his parents kind of nudged him toward a Christian college. Cindy, from a very young age, was excited about the possibility of missions. They always had uh, students in their home, exchange students, and she loved learning about the cultures. Um, They were in a room like this in in a Christian college, and you know how that goes. They looked across the room, and they saw each other, and uh, the sparks started flying, and eventually... They did, I don't know what you do, but anyway, they did it, and um, they, they ended up becoming official, and uh, you know, how big a deal that is at a Christian college, because then everybody knows, and, and you know, they kind of siphoned off on their own and never hung out with their friends anymore. No, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but that's what happens. You know that's what happens, so I'm just imagining, and so um, she really wanted to go to the mission field. He wasn't so sure. But um, they found out about a ministry in Brazil, and by the way, I'm making up this country, this is not the real story, but they found out ministry in Brazil, and it was going up and down the Amazon River in boats, and Mark had grown up in a community near the river, and he thought that would be really cool, and so they ended up going to the mission field, and while they were there, of course, they had to learn the language. Uh, Mark and uh, Cindy went to the southern part of Brazil to a language school where they were learning Portuguese. So Cindy was really academic, you know, the straight-A student type. She flew through language school. 
Uh, pretty soon she was reading Portuguese books. She had uh, coffee with Portuguese friends. Everything was going great. Mark, on the other hand, was sort of the, the hands-on kind of guy, and he was really struggling with the language. While she was off reading and, and talking with people, he was still getting the rudimentary, elementary parts of learning Portuguese. Um, because Cindy was doing so well, she ended up having like language helpers and tutors, and one of them happened to be named Paolo. That's a guy's name. Uh, Paolo was help very helpful with the language, very attentive, somewhat handsome, um, very attentive with the language. Uh, and did I mention handsome? <laughs> and eventually, I think you're going to understand the story, Cindy left her husband and went off with this guy because she said, I know God wants me to be happy and I'm just not happy with Mark. And I was furious. I was so angry. Can't they just understand? Can't the Ravi Zacharias of the world and the Fairy Jaw Wells and all those other people like Cindy, can't they just understand that there is something about Scripture that commands them to obey and to follow? Can't they understand there's a commandment that says you shall not commit adultery? Can't they understand avoid all appearance of evil? Isn't there some way that, that people can follow what God commands them to do? And then I realized... You and I do exactly the same thing. We do exactly the same thing with the commands of the Lord. And this is a week to focus on mission, so you can imagine the command that I'm talking about is when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, first of all, all authority, I have the right to say this, Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. I'm not even going to go into the rest of it, but we have that direct command from Jesus Christ, and I imagine that if I took a poll in this room, if I took a poll in my church, that very few of us are actually doing what Jesus overtly commands us to do. He commands us, Go, make disciples. It goes on to say, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded us. So it's not just the Ravis and the Jerrys and the Cindys of the world that are hypocritical in their faith. It's us. We understand that Jesus has commanded us and yet we somehow make lots of excuses about why we don't have to do what Jesus commands us to do when he says, I have all authority. I am the one who can tell you what to do. You need to go and make disciples. And why do we do that? I'd like to give you three reasons. If you're taking notes, I'm sure your phone is at the ready. The first one I like to call an incorrect interpretation of these words. So some of you are saying, doesn't the text, can't it also be translated, as you are going, make disciples? And it is true that we can have that interpretation, but I would like to tell you this is where it leads you 
when you come to that understanding or when you think that's the only way it can be translated. With that in mind, if you say, as I am going, you kind of have what I call a la-di-da approach to the Great Commission. It's this happenstance. As I'm kind of wandering through my life and doing the things that I want to do and that are important to me, if somebody bumps into me and says, um, you know, make me a disciple, you know, I'd love for you to disciple me, then you say, I guess as I was going, I touched into that person's life and I will disciple them. But Jesus is saying very clearly that the command is to make disciples and we have to do that intentionally as we're going. And so I believe go is a much better translation. He's telling us with the same authority that we make disciples, we go, we baptize, and we teach. Nobody ever says, you know, as I'm making a disciple, I might happen to baptize them and I might happen to teach them about what Jesus says. But instead, We make excuses because we misinterpret that we can do whatever we want and somehow disciples will come our way. The second thing I see when we look at a passage like that is what I call a misguided application. Um, We like to think sometimes that, uh, you know, the people that are safe, the people that are like us, the people that kind of fit already are the ones that we can make disciples of. Uh, Here's what I mean. You maybe are in a youth group, helping with a youth group. And so you say, I'm going to take those guys that are in my youth group and I'm going to disciple them. Well, that's good. Uh, There's a place for that. Maybe you're the Hebrew professor here at school. Do we have any Hebrew students? Uh, So yay, we've got one. Good. I was a Hebrew student. That's why I asked. That was my, my degree. So you know, I can say, which is Psalm 23, and you don't care. <laughs> and the reason you don't care is because well, that was a great part of my discipleship and understanding God's word. But what needs to happen is I take what I know about God's word and communicate it to others. Um, Jesus wasn't telling those 11 disciples, read the context, verse 16, he wasn't telling those 11 disciples You know, what you need to do is like kind of build one another up. Uh, We want 11 strong disciples. So make disciples of you guys and then baptize each other and then teach everything that I've commanded. He was saying there are people out there who are not disciples who need to become disciples. And when they cross the line and become disciples, followers of Jesus, Then you baptize them, identify them with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Believe me, what you're doing in ministries and the ways you're helping in the church and the things that you're doing are extremely vital. We need to grow deeper in our faith and our understanding of God's word. Don't drop out of your Hebrew class. Stick with it, buddy. Um, But the reason you're doing that is because there's a lost world out there that needs to know what you already know. That Jesus is the only way. That he is the one who's bought you like we've sung about. That he's the one that's transformed your life. That he's the one that makes you seek after him in God's word. Oh my goodness, I'm more than halfway through and I haven't even gone to the text yet. What kind of pastor is this guy? The third reason is because just plainly, you don't want to do what Jesus says. Ultimately, I call that culturally acceptable idolatry. The idolatry of self that we have 
imbibed in the church, we believe is okay because we live in the land of the free. We're individuals, we're Westerners, we can do what we want to do. And here's how it works out in our lives. We say, you know, I don't really feel called to tell people about Jesus. Um, I know there are those ministries reaching out in different parts of the city and uh, there are great people out here that are telling, telling me about opportunities that I can go to, but you know, I just, I just don't feel called. What you really mean is you don't want to. Uh, you don't have to feel called because you're commanded. You're to do what Jesus tells you to do. Um, you're to live a life that pleases him. It is not about making you happy. It's about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, finally, John chapter four that I asked you to turn to a long time ago. Um, we're gonna have to fly through this and it's okay because I planned it that way. Uh, but John chapter four, here's what you read. It's interestingly, the longest conversation that Jesus has with anyone in all of scripture. It's seven back and forth conversations that he has with a Samaritan woman. If you don't know this already, Samaritan and woman was a double whammy. A woman was like property in those days. I hate to even say that in this room. A woman was like property and a Samaritan was like the lowest of the low. The, the people that you built the wall for. Uh, the people that you wanted to keep out of your town. Uh, and that's who Jesus is, is coming to and speaking to and talking to. And so we read it this way. Uh, I'm just gonna, I have it, it's all abbreviated. Jesus says, please give me a drink. The woman says, wait, you're a Jew. Uh, and then we read, and John does this all the time in his gospel. He has these little asides where he, he kind of just tells you the background just in case you didn't know. And he goes, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, of course not. Um, they're the other guys. They live on the other side of town. They're, they're the people that aren't like me. They're the people that I don't want coming to my church. Uh, and Jesus introduces the conversation. And Jesus says, um, you know, I, I want to... I want to make sure that I have some connection with you. Will you give me a drink? And you're saying, I could never do that. I'm an introvert. Um, I, don't, I don't like being the one to start the conversation. Um, well, I'm an introvert too. You may not believe that. He's been screaming at you for 20 minutes. But you've got to find a way to connect with people. Because that's what it means to make a disciple. There's no other way. The people that aren't disciples are people. And you need to talk to them. You need to find a way to connect with them. You cannot proclaim the gospel by being quiet about it. Yes, we're to give a defense to everybody who gives an answer, but you know what? Most people don't care anymore. Find a way to get in their lives, to tell them you're doing good things, but you do those good things because Jesus has totally changed your outlook in life. And Jesus is showing us the way. And so he connects with this woman. He says, please, give me a drink. She says, but wait, you're a Jew. And he says, you know what? If you knew, you wouldn't mess with the Jew thing. You'd say, you've got something that I really want, living water. And she's still very practical. She says, but wait, the well is deep. You don't have a bucket. How are you gonna get water? Believe me, this is the Reader's Digest version here. You don't even know what that means. The Cliff Notes version. Do you still do Cliff Notes? 
What's it called when you like don't have to read the book because you got the little, thank you, spark notes. I do have kids your age, I should know. All right, so Jesus says, hey, if you drank the water I have, I have something, he's turning the conversation spiritual now and he says, if you drank something I gave you, you'd have eternal life. And she goes, cool, give me the water. This is my translation, I failed Greek. I did well in Hebrew, but I failed Greek. And Jesus says, call your husband, because why, do, what, think about it. Why would he say that? Because he knows, it's in the next one, she says no husband. The next one says, you've had five. The one you're with, you're just sleeping with. Um, why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus wants her to know that everybody can come, that no matter what your life like is before, um, he, wants, he wants sinners to come to him. And so in that culture, she couldn't even come to the well when everyone else was at the well because they were ostracizing her. And she says, wait, uh, let me change the subject. I think you're a prophet, so tell me where we should worship. Again, my translation. And Jesus says, it's not about place. It's about what goes on in your heart. It's about spirit. It's about truth. And the Samaritan woman knows enough to say when the Messiah comes, the one who's called Christ, he will tell us. And Jesus says to the very first time that he reveals in scripture who he is, he does it to this woman from Samaria. And he says, I who speak to you am he. Now that was a crash course in evangelism. But here's what else it was. It's something that reveals to us how that impacted that woman. So she runs off and says, and if you've watched The Chosen, you know this better than me, can, uh, can you come and see this man? Can it be the Christ? He's told me everything about myself. And the whole town comes out. Many Samaritans come. He told, because she told them everything that, he, uh, that she ever did. And they ask him to stay for two days. And can you imagine the disciples? Uh, we don't stay with Samaritans. And so they stay for two days and many more believe because of his word and they proclaim that Jesus is the savior of the world and I'm running out of time, but here's the point. The disciples didn't care. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, how did he get to Chick-fil-A when we weren't watching? Again, I didn't do so well in Greek. Because they cared more about the temporal than the eternal. This great revival is taking place. Lost souls are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and they don't care. They don't care. Because this whole town is rushing out to meet them and they're afraid. How do I know they're afraid? Because all of them went into town to buy food. How many disciples does it take to buy food for one guy? <laughs> um, they're afraid of what's happening here. There's, there's something happening that didn't fit their box, that doesn't fit their mold. Uh, the disciples are, are upset. They had their eyes in the wrong place. They're, they're not looking at the things the way Jesus says. And so what does Jesus say to them? Uh, so if I had time, we'd go through the rest of my message. But they didn't care about people. 
Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They stayed in the pack. They went off into the city to buy food together. They cared more about the temporal than the eternal. I could talk about that one all day. Um, They had their eyes in the wrong place. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now listen, he says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Why does Jesus say, look, lift up your eyes and see? Because the word see has a deeper meaning than just look. If you read 1 John chapter 1, there's that part where uh, John introduces it and he says, we've seen the Messiah, we've seen what he did, and we've beheld. And that's that word here. It means to gaze intently until you understand. Uh, My mother used to say to me all the time, don't you see what I'm talking about? And because I loved words, I'd be like, no, I can't see what you're talking about. Those are words, and I can't see them. And she'd believe in corporal punishment and whack me, and (laughs) I'd feel the message that she had. (laughs) So Jesus is saying, open your eyes and look until you understand. How do you do that? You get out of your comfort zone. And you read the news differently. Instead of complaining about what's going on, you say, there's change that needs to take place and I need to do something about it. You look at people across town and in places where they are desperate for physical needs and educational needs and and are social ways of helping them and you'll you'll say that's an entry point for me to enter into their lives so that like Jesus I can proclaim to them I can tell them I cannot just do the work of of making them feel comfortable because like John Piper says you make them feel comfortable on their way to hell you have to say my job is to make a disciple to transform a person from not following to following the Lord Jesus Christ How do you do that here? I would encourage you to go to the tables. Almost every one of them has some ministry that you can take part in, uh, in Philly, in in this town, in a way that you can join in in praying. Um, There is something that you can do, and like the theme of this conference, just do something right here, right now. Start doing it so that God can give you on-the-job training so that you can be a part of change, making disciples, really doing what the Lord Jesus has commanded you to do. Find your place in the harvest. Now here's a great story, and I want to finish with this. Um, When I went to France and learned the language and went to a difficult place in the world where uh, very few people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, um, I was uh, a great book learner when it came to learning the language, but I, I felt very uncomfortable speaking the language. So... Uh, After two years of really cracking the books, my wife was talking. I was not. I was kind of like reading all the letters and the emails and reading the Bible in French and just loving it. But I would get partway through a sentence and just not know how to finish it. So we did what was called an internship or a stage, they call it in French. And we were there with a French pastor. And about halfway through that one year, he he said to me, "Um, I'm I'm going to Africa to teach for the next year. You're going to take over the church. And I was scared to death. Um, So, 
I got a lot of visiting speakers to come. And, um, but there were those times when I had to prepare a message. And so uh, I heard from a friend that he, in Germany, he had, he had done this really cool thing. He put a little note on his, uh, um, what do you call it? Table, that's the word, yes. Table uh, in a cafe, and it would say, if you tell me what you believe about God, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. So I thought, that's really cool, but if they tell me what they believe about God, I'm not sure I can even respond to that. So I gotta say something different. So as I was working on my messages in the cafe, I put a little note on my table that, would say, that said, if you help me learn French, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Um, you gotta picture this, in a smoky French cafe, I would come home uh, and my girls would go, oh, you've been out evangelizing, Dad. Um, I, would, I would have this note and finally I had to say, the first three people that come because Dozens of guys in this working class, little town Turks and Algerians and Moroccans would come and they would help me with my French and laugh at me when I started talking. And I will never forget when Richard, I'll call him Richard and you'll say, oh, I know that name. Anyway, Richard uh, asked why I was doing all this. And I said, well, I uh, actually, I'm the speaker at, at a little church down the street. And he was like, you're gonna speak? <laughs> with your American accent, you know, and all these things. So uh, I said, yeah, you should come. You should come hear me. Well, a little backstory is I'd get partway down a sentence in French and I wouldn't know how to finish it. And somebody in the congregation, there was one lady was actually an interpreter at the United Nations. She would just call out, hey, do you mean to say and I, in French? And I would say, yeah, that's it. Or uh, one of the elders also spoke French and he would help me and he would call out, well, Richard came to church. And Richard thought, hey, this is really cool. They're having a dialogue. And so Richard, I still will never forget the day that he called out and he said, what do you mean by heaven? And I answered the question as best I could and Dunny, the, uh, the elder, and Marguerite, the, the woman that spoke English so well, we all joined in this conversation and some others started talking. And uh, pretty soon I was like, okay, can we move on? You know, I have this thing I have to read to you because I can't speak French. And uh, I finished and I went, the next day, Monday, I go to the cafe and Richard, Richard has some pamphlets from the church that he's passing out to everybody, telling them they've got to come hear this dialogue that takes place at church. I'm going to make the long story short. He was the first person that I saw come to faith in France and got to baptize him. Why? Because I didn't know French. Not because I did. Some of us think in my weakness, I can't make it happen. I can't tell people about Jesus. I don't know. What if they say something that I don't know how to respond to? That's why you're here. Um, just do what God is calling you to do. Right here, right now, find a way. You may be going to the mission field. You may be going to church. You may be going into business. Right here, right now, start doing what Jesus has commanded. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. You love us. You work with us. You know this is hard for some of us to hear. Um, but Lord, I'm praying that the seeds of your truth will help us transform. May we walk across the room. May we uh, drive across town. May we find a way to make this happen that people who don't know you can truly be made disciples through your spirit's power. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you.